Well, if you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, we have really finally come down to the end of our sermon series through the book of Galatians. And so this week and next week are going to look just a little bit different in terms of the sermon aspect of our weekly gathering. Uh, Today and next week will be slightly different than what you're normally used to preaching. Uh, Typically, we try to model what is known as expository preaching here, which is verse by verse through a book, through a passage of scripture. And although we are going to stay in Galatians, uh, we are going to be, be a bit more topical this week and next week as we end our series through the book of Galatians. And specifically today, we're going to answer a question that is a controversy within the Christian church. Uh, So this is, as we end the book, there's a phrase in Paul that is debated among Christians, and it's not something that separates us from fellowship. It's not something that separates people from the kingdom of God or from sharing the table with one another, but it is a big and an important deal in the Christian church. And so we are going to address it and seek to sort of defend the Reformed position on this verse. So if you will read verses 16 and 17 with me. This is Galatians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. We are going to read these and then make sure you have your Bibles ready because we are going to be jumping around a lot today. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 16. Follow along, please, for these are the very words of God. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That phrase there Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God is what we are going to focus our time on today. So if you will, look back at verse 15 with me before we jump into this. Paul says in verse 15, before he brings up this phrase, this will help give us a little bit of context. He reminds us that neither circumcision counts for anything, nor circumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule... Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So today what I want us to look at is who exactly has showed up, if you will, in Paul's final blessing. In other words, who is the Israel of God? This is a relatively new phrase in all of the Bible, the Israel of God. We see Israel being tied to other things, but very rarely is it referred to as the Israel of God. Paul pulls a pretty unique phrase here as he concludes his book, peace and mercy upon them and even upon. Your translations might say something different. They might say, and upon the Israel of God, or they might say, even upon the Israel of God, or they might just say, for is the Israel of God, something like that. The translators actually have to make a decision as to how to interpret this, because it's one of those passages in Scripture that, at least according to the Greek grammar, is notoriously difficult. It's a very difficult phrase in the Greek to translate, and so it's very, very hard to get the meaning of this phrase just from the grammar and the syntax, because the Greek construction, the way Paul writes it, lends itself to a variety of interpretations that would be consistent with the Greek. And so there are three positions outlined among the Christian church today as to who is the Israel of God, and I'm going to condense them into two because two of them are very similar. There's one view that says the Israel of God is specifically Jewish believers. 
So in other words, what Paul did is Paul says, I want to wish a blessing, peace be upon all who live by this rule. Now, what is this rule? It's the rule of being in Christ and being a new creation and being led by the Spirit. Everyone who believes in that, who lives by that, peace and mercy be upon them. But then he breaks off to a special group within the Christians. So he addresses the Christians at large. And then he breaks off into a special group within the church. And that is specifically the Jewish Christians. So peace and mercy to all Christians, but especially to the Jewish Christians. This understanding of the Israel of God is that if you belong to the Israel of God, you have to have two things. You have to believe in Jesus Christ and you have to have Jewish flesh. You have to be a physical descendant of Israel. So most of the people in this room, according to this view, are not the Israel of God. It's, you're not in that group. That's a special class for Jewish believers. Now there's a related view to this, which still sees the Israel of God as being only Jewish believers, but it sees it as Paul bringing up this special end times group. There's a belief that at the end of time, before Christ comes again, we will see this mass conversion of the Jewish people, that all of Israel will be saved. And some suggest that Paul is thinking eschatologically. He's thinking in the future. He's saying, peace be to Jew and Gentile Christians today, but peace be upon that special future group of Jews who all come to faith. That will then, when Israel is fulfilled and Israel will be what it is called to be, that group is the Israel of God. So there's two positions that are slightly different, but they have one thing in common. And that is that the Israel of God are Jews only. Gentiles are excluded from this group. If you're Gentile, you are not part of the Israel of God. Well, today I want to make the case of the Reformed position, though not every single Reformed person throughout history has held to this position. It is the more common position, and that is that the Israel of God is actually just another phrase for the Christian church. That the Israel of God would make up every believer regardless of who your grandparents are. That the way to read the text, which is grammatically consistent just as the other views are, is that Paul wishes a blessing upon all who walk by this rule and then he clarifies that group as being the Israel of God. And so that's what we are going to look at today. I want to offer us three lines of argumentation for why the Israel of God should be seen as the Christian church. And then when we come to the Lord's table, I'm going to briefly remind us of why this is important. Why this is worth our time today. Although it's always worth our time because it's in our text. So we are going to go small, big, bigger. First, I want to make an argument just from the context of the passage. I want us to see how, just according to what Paul said in these couple verses, we need to read Israel of God as not being an exclusive group that Gentiles are banned from. And I say that because of what we read in verse 15. Notice what leads up to the Israel of God. What leads up to this final blessing? Paul tells us in verse 15 that neither circumcision counts for anything. Remember, circumcision was the physical identity marker that you belonged to Israel. You weren't even really truly considered Jewish until you were circumcised. And that's, remember, the whole context of this book, the Jews pushing circumcision on the Gentiles, trying to make them Jewish. And what does Paul say right before telling us about the, using this phrase, Israel of God? 
Circumcision counts for not some, he doesn't say, it counts for mostly nothing except for there's these really special blessings at the end of time. Then it will matter. It will matter then. It counts for nothing. Your Jewish ancestry counts for what? Something? A little bit? A lot? Nothing. It means nothing. But notice, he's not playing favorites here. He's not teaching a replacement of God's favorite people. Because he doesn't say, your, your circumcision counts for nothing. What really matters now is uncircumcision. Being Jewish doesn't mean anything anymore, but being Gentile does. See, now the Gentiles, now they're the special group. He's, he's not replacing anything. What does he say? Circumcision counts for nothing. But guess what else doesn't count for anything? What does the text say? Nor uncircumcision. God does not care about your skin color. He doesn't care about your ancestry. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. There is no advantage to either. It counts for nothing. What is it that does count? What is the rule that we are supposed to walk by? A new creation. The Christian church is something that transcends these bloodline boundaries. We're no longer interested in being Jews. We're no longer interested in being Gentiles. I want to be something altogether better. I want to be a new creation. The rule that we walk by is the rule of the new creation. And by the way, we're going to look at this phrase, new creature, somewhere else that Paul mentions it. But I want us to see that this is not the first time that Paul has said this in the book. Look back at chapter 5, verse 6. Paul has already told us this early on throughout his argumentation. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You know what Paul's, you know what God's interested? That you believe in Jesus Christ and that you live according to that belief. That's what God's interested in. That's where there's value. Jew, Gentile, no value. Faith working through love, that's value. New creature, new creation. We want to be something new, something altogether different. We want to be believers in Jesus with a faith that works through love. We want to be new creatures. Our nationality counts for nothing. Uh, probably the more famous passage, though, where Paul brings up this concept of the new creature. Some of you maybe even have this memorized. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Keep your marker here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the famous passage you might have heard if you grew up in church known as the ministry of reconciliation or the ministers of the new covenant. Chapter 5, look at verse 11 with me. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast or giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we, were, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we no longer regard him thus longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does Paul say about people who boast of their flesh, make much of their ancestry? Paul says, now that the new covenant is here, we don't regard anyone according to their flesh. We're not interested in bragging about our flesh. What we're interested in is the new creation that takes place when you are in Christ. So if we go back to Galatians chapter 6, and this will come up in some of our other broader points, but I just want to make this argument from verse 15. Paul cannot be singling out Jewish Christians with this special blessing because being circumcised doesn't have any advantage in Christ. Being uncircumcised also does not have any advantage in Christ. But let's make an argument now, not just from verse 15, from the context of the passage, but let's go a little broader. And let me remind you of what the whole book of Galatians is about. What is the entire book of Galatians about? From chapter 1 all the way on, it's about Judaizers who came into the church trying to tell people that circumcision, being Jewish, still matters. That who are the descendants of Isaac? Who are the descendants of Israel? If you want the Abrahamic blessing, which they all recognized was Jesus in the New Testament, you have to be part of Abraham's line. And you can't be that unless you're circumcised. They were forcing circumcision on the Gentiles. They were forcing Judaism on the Gentiles. And the whole purpose of the book is Paul coming in saying, we don't do that here. That, that's not what we care about any longer. For example, turn back to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 7. Paul says this after, and by the way, in verses 1 through 6, he, he sort of mocks them. He calls them foolish, who has bewitched you. Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the Jewish law? Is that how you got the Spirit, or was it by faith? Did you work miracles through the Jewish law, or was it by faith? And then he says in verse 6, Or rather, did you become part of the people of God just how Abraham did, through belief, and it was counted to him as righteousness? And then now that he's brought Abraham into the equation, he says this in verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So is it really so bizarre that Paul would end this book by referring to Christians as the Israel of God, the true Israel? It's not that bizarre because he's already told Gentile Christians that they are descendants of Abraham. You are the descendants of Abraham by faith. You are blessed along with Abraham by faith. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So I would just like to remind everyone in this room, if you believe on Jesus Christ, Abraham is your forefather. 
You are the sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. It is not by the law. It is not by circumcision. It is not by blood. It is by faith. And he really made this point even stronger. Look over at chapter 4. Remember as we were working through the argument? Remember he broke into that very long but important allegorical interpretation of the Old Testament? You remember when we preached on that? We preached through the allegorical interpretation of the Old Testament? Well, what was the whole point of that? Look at Galatians chapter 4 verse 28. How did he conclude? Remember he made, he made Hagar the, the slave woman and Sarah was the free woman. And he said all these uh, Israelites of the flesh, which is what Paul calls them, Jews of the flesh, Israelites of the flesh, they think that they are descendants of Sarah. But they're actually descendants of Hagar because they've rejected Christ. And so he concludes Galatians chapter 4 verse 28. Now you brothers, brothers and sisters is a more literal translation would say, like Isaac are children of the promise. Being part of the Abrahamic promise is what makes you a true descendant of Abraham. And faith is how you become a part of that promise. So again, it is those of faith who are sons and daughters of Abraham. It is those of faith who are like Isaac, children of the promise. It is your faith that elevates you up to an equal status with Isaac. Not your circumcision. Not who you were born to. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, this is one of the most important verses in the whole book. Look at verses 28 and 29. Verse 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the first point he makes, when you come to Christ, nationality doesn't matter anymore. Gender doesn't matter anymore. Now, it's, it's not saying those things are obliterated. Obviously, you're still a man or a woman. Obviously, you're still slave or free. You're still black or white or Asian or Jewish. or Obviously, these things don't physically go away. And there might be contexts in the world where these things matter. Even in the church, these things matter. Paul says in the pastoral epistles, women cannot be pastors. They can't be elders. And you'd be amazed at how many people say, well, Paul couldn't have meant that because in Christ Jesus, there is no, there is no male or female. So obviously, he's not saying that there's no context whatsoever when your nationality doesn't exist or doesn't mean anything. Your gender doesn't exist or doesn't mean. We still maintain these things, but specifically, what is it? Verse 27, when you are baptized into Christ, when you put on Christ, when we are talking about being in Christ, there's no such thing as a Jewish Christian, a Gentile Christian, a female. We are just Christians. We are in Christ. No slave, no male, no female, no barbarian, no Scythian, no Jew, no Gentile. We are entirely equalized. And then the question becomes, well, that doesn't make sense because the Old Testament told me that you had to be a descendant of Abraham to receive these blessings. So if I come into Christ and I'm no longer Jew or Gentile, how can I be a descendant of Abraham? Verse 29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. So I, I ask again, is it really so bizarre that Paul would refer to the church as being, this is true Israel. 
This is God's Israel because we are descendants of Abraham by faith. We are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. That's why he also says, you don't have to turn there in Colossians chapter 3, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, because here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We don't make distinctions in Christ Jesus. I think that, in other words, let me put it this way, I think it makes no sense to the overall purpose of the book. Paul has spent chapter after chapter after chapter saying, in Christ, nationality doesn't matter. In Christ, circumcision doesn't matter. You don't need to become Jewish to be saved. You don't need to be circumcised. You're sons of Abraham by faith. You're sons of Isaac by faith. And then all of a sudden, he ends the letter by saying, now, by the way, let me give a special blessing to those special Christians, the Jewish ones. Yeah, you, you Gentile Christians, you can have peace, but let me make sure I give a special blessing the Jewish Christians, the Israel of God, the, the special Israel group that the Gentile Christians sit outside in the outer courts and wish they could be a part of. The Judaizers would have a field day with this. See, Paul's, Paul still says the distinction does matter. Jewish Christians are in some way, shape, or form unique from the Gentile Christians. That's why he's giving this special blessing to the Israel of God. The Gentiles, you can have the scraps. It makes no sense to his overall argument in Galatians, which is, you don't need to be Jewish. You're a son of Abraham by faith. I think verse 15 refutes a Jewish exclusive understanding of Israel of God. I think the book of Galatians as a whole refutes this Jewish exclusive understanding of the people of God. And let me just make chapter 3, this is where we're going to bounce around. I think this language is consistent in Paul throughout the entire New Testament. This is something Paul commonly does as he equates all of the Jewish types and shadows as being fulfilled in believers, both Jew and Gentile. For example, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Paul is very methodical throughout the book of Romans. He begins his argument by condemning all of mankind. And then he sort of specifies a special condemnation on Gentile unbelief. And he rebukes Gentiles. And then he turns to Jews and he rebukes them. So again, let me remind you, what we're not saying here is that there is no context whatsoever in which you ever maintain your nationality or your gender. You're still a man, you're still a woman, you're still white, you're still black. Paul can still talk to Jews and Gentiles separately, but it's spiritually where these things go away. So he addresses the Jews in chapter 2 and sort of rebukes them for their hypocrisy, for not really fulfilling the law, even though they push it on others. And notice how he concludes his argument in chapter 2 with the Jews. He says, beginning in verse 25... For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a Jew were to be born and get circumcised and then live a perfect life, then his circumcision matters. But the second you break the law, you're a Gentile. <laughs> your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. 
Now, is it saying that physically, God physically goes in and rearranges what was mutilated? No. Spiritually, you are not a descendant of Abraham. You are not part of the covenant community, truly. Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And then in verse 26, So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? By the way, that phrase, be regarded, is a phrase Paul used in Romans chapter 4 when he talks about how we, by faith in Christ, are regarded as righteous before Christ. In other words, this Jewish identity is imputed to the uncircumcised if they obey the law. So what really matters is holiness, not circumcision, not nationality. According to Paul, you can be circumcised, but Paul and God consider you uncircumcised. That's a theoretical possibility. And likewise, you can be uncircumcised, but God can consider you circumcised. And then he gets even clearer, verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code in circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. So is it true that you must be a circumcised person to be part of the people of God? The Judaizers got that right, yes. But what did they not understand? What does, Paul, what does God care about? Not physical circumcision, spiritual circumcision. That's why, by the way, during when we were reading our verses that Matthew Henry put together, one of the things we prayed and confessed today was God circumcise our hearts. Because we want to be Jewish, but not outwardly. Inwardly. One is not merely a Jew outwardly. You can't just be a physical descendant from Isaac and say, look, I'm Jewish. No. No, you know, and it's not a Jew merely outwardly. Judaism is of the heart. You must be circumcised of heart. You must be one inwardly by the Spirit. But he continues in the book of uh, Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, he begins Romans chapter 9 with this amazing, this amazing lament for Israel of the flesh. He doesn't call them Israel of God. He calls them my brothers according to the flesh. And he laments at the beginning that they are largely unsaved. Obviously, there were a lot of Jewish believers. Read the book of Acts. There was a lot. But considering how many Jews there were, the proportion, it was very small. And Paul is lamenting this because he loves his brothers and sisters according to the flesh. Again, so is the point of this to say that you're not allowed to love being Jewish? No, Paul loved it and he loved his Jewish brethren. That's not the point of this. He laments that they were unsaved. And he knows though that what what is my audience going to say to me? Well, Paul, this makes no sense because the Old Testament told us that it was Abraham's seed. It was the descendants of Abraham who would be inheritors of God's promise. And here you are lamenting that all the descendants, of, that most of the descendants of Abraham are not part of God's promise. So who's right, Paul? You were the Bible. Is the scripture broken? Has the scripture been nullified? Did God go back on his word? What does Paul say? Verse 6. 
But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In verse 7, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So what's Paul's point? These people who you think had this Abrahamic promise to them, it wasn't really to them. You can be physically descended from Israel, but not actually be of Israel. He says that explicitly. You are not a child of Abraham just because you are his offspring. And by the way, he reminds them, he continues, by the way, you should know this. You should know that God has the freedom to pick and choose who's of the blessing. Why? Because guess who else was a physical descendant of Abraham? Ishmael. But what does the text say? Verse 7. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Ishmael was cut out of the promise. He's a descendant of Abraham. Oh, by the way, God does it again. Verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Esau was a child of Abraham. But he was not a child of Abraham. He was not part of the promise, even though his flesh went back to Abraham. And the point that Paul's making in Romans 9 is we have all of these Jews today, and their flesh goes back to Isaac, but they are not of Isaac. Their flesh goes back to Israel, but they are not descendants of Israel. Why? Because he concludes, look at verses 24 through 26 of Romans 9. Even us from whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. He mentioned in Romans 9 that it was the purpose of God's election and calling that made people part of the promise of Abraham, not their skin color. And he reminds us at the end that God did not limit himself to only calling people of a particular skin color. Jews and Gentiles both have been called into Abraham's family. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 2. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2. Paul warns, by the way, this is to Philippi. So yes, there would, have been, there would have been Jewish Christians in this church. There would have been Jewish Christians in every church in the New Testament. But they're obviously, this is a Gentile city. This is a Gentile church plant. There would have been a lot of Gentiles in this community. These are quote-unquote Gentile churches. And look at what Paul begins in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. He warns them, look out for the dogs. Now, who are the dogs? If you were familiar with Jewish tradition in the Old Testament, you would think he's talking about Gentiles here because that was a common name that the, Gen that the Jews would call the Gentiles. And remember, Jesus even uses this in one of his encounters with a Gentile woman when she comes up and asks for help and Jesus says, aren't I here to help the descendants of, Israel, of Abraham? And she says, even the dogs get the scraps from the table. 
says, look out for the dogs, and you would think he's talking about the Gentiles. But how does he define dogs? The evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who are the dogs? The Jews. Now, am I saying that we should look at all Jews with racist, evil thoughts? No. The word dog here was not a racist expression. But what Paul is doing is he is trying to get us to identify those who mutilate the flesh now in Gentile categories. Because they are not true Israel. Look out for the dogs, the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Who is the circumcision? Who is Israel? Believers in Jesus. That's who Israel is. But perhaps I I want us to end with this one. I, I think there's no clearer text in all of Scripture than Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. If you will please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This will be the last text that we look at. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So notice how Paul is going out of his way here to eliminate all spiritual categories. Yeah, you're fleshly Gentiles, and they're fleshly circumcised, and their fleshly circumcision was made with fleshly hands. You see, he wants us to consider these categories as no longer being spiritual. They're purely physical. Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by those who mutilated their flesh with their bare hands. Verse 12, remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul begins by telling the Gentiles of the flesh there, there was a time when Israel did not belong to you. You were strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. There was a time when the covenants did not belong to you. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. There was a time when Christ did not belong to you. You were a stranger from Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Near to what? What are they near to? Everything that Paul just said they were once foreign to, which includes what? Christ, obviously. They were separated from Christ, but they are now in Christ. So what else belongs to them, though? They were once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So what have they been brought near to? Israel. What else were they foreign to? The covenants of promise. More than one, but obviously Abraham, the Abrahamic promise. And what have they been brought near to? The covenants of promise. 
they've been brought into Israel. They are part of Israel. They've been brought into the covenants. They are part of these covenants. Why? Verse 13, or forgive me, verse 14. For Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. Who are the two men that are being replaced here? Jew and Gentile. What are you in Christ? You're not Jew and Gentile anymore. We have all been brought near into a new man, a new race, a new creature. We transcend the Jew-Gentile distinction. Verse 16, for 15, or for 16, that Christ might reconcile us both to God in one body. Not Jewish Christians going to God this way and then Gentile Christians going that way. No, all of us one new creature, one new man, one body, one bride, one church, one faith. We have all been brought to God as one. Verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Jesus preached salvation to Jew and Gentile. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The Gentile believers are now fellow citizens. They are not second-class citizens. Yeah, we're all in Christ, but this group is really special. They've got, they've got their own promises coming. You can't have those. You're not part of those, right? You're junior varsity. They're varsity. You're second string. They're first string. You're like here on a temporary work visa. They're citizens. No, we are fellow citizens. What the Jew has in Christ, I have in Christ. We are fellow citizens. No distinctions. No levels. Members of what? The household of God. You are part of God's family. You are part of another way of saying that. The people of God. And what's another way of saying the people of God? Using Old Testament language. The Israel of God. Israel are the people of God. They are the inheritors of the Abrahamic blessing. But what Paul has labored to show us in Galatians and all throughout the New Testament is that Gentiles can be equal members of the people of God. Gentiles, they can even be true members where physical descendants are cast out altogether. The Gentiles have not replaced the Jews. The church has not replaced Israel. But true believers enter into Israel. And false believers who were once covenantally part of it are cut out of Israel. So we're not talking about replacing something here. We're talking about joining something here. That we are new creatures in Christ. That we transcend the old distinctions that Christ crossed, abolished and obliterated. And so I would say, based on verse 15, based on the context of the book, and based on the overall context of Pauline theology in the New Testament, who is the Israel of God? You are, if you're in Christ Jesus.
But by Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. You are now a son and daughter of Abraham. Children counted for the promise.